we're making sense of the biggest free agency moves on Roto Viz Radio. What's up, Roto Viz? Welcome back to RotoViz Radio, brought to you by Bet Online. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at RotoViz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. Well, Matt, we have some puzzle pieces falling into place. Uh, Tom Brady is going to the Buccaneers, a lot of different moves being made we probably won't be able to get to all of them in this first episode of the week the names that we do not get to we will be talking about later in the week uh pretty exciting time so far though wouldn't you agree yeah uh and i should say you know i'm sorry about uh the tom brady stuff how are how are you uh, feeling about it i'm pretty contradicted over it mainly because I have been thinking, you know, for a couple of years now that we, and yes, I'm using we as in terms of in terms of the Patriots, like I have something to do with the organization, but as a fan, I will use we. I've been thinking that, you know, there really need to be more of a plan in place behind Brady, not to say that there isn't, but I would have liked to have known it. And, and I kind of wish that we'd been able to move on from him like a couple years prior. Uh, granted, though, I do think that did secure another Super Bowl. So I guess that kind of... If is if that is true negates um, that concern. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm doing all right. I just yep. okay. I'm, I'm going to jump in. See, uh, I think so. A couple of things. One, this is uh, I think one of the instances of um, when one of the few instances in which like Robert Kraft did something really to hurt the yep. future of the team. Because I think for decades Robert Kraft has done a fantastic job of not meddling of uh, like letting the football people and the business people run the organization and uh, not getting in anyone's way. But he has the soft spot for Brady and two years ago, that is where it bit him. And he, he interceded and he interceded on Brady's behalf. And uh, although that, you know, theoretically uh, helped them win a championship, there's nothing to say that they wouldn't have won that championship with Jimmy Garoppolo. I think they actually probably would have because I think what we've seen out of Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco is that he is good enough to be the quarterback on a Super Bowl contending and probably winning team. And if Bill Belichick had had his way, Brady, even a couple years ago, would not have been a Patriot and that would have been sad. But that's the exact same situation you have now. And you also don't have Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that's basically the summary that that I should have provided. Um, it is an odd thing, though. Um, you know, to be honest, I'm not sure that like I'm really like a huge Brady fan, but with him being connected to all these teams that I've been a huge fan of, you know, by that association, I am. So I'm not sure, but I'm expecting. I, I think I will end up, you know, be rooting for him when I'm when I'm actually watching him play uh, as a Buccaneer, which is going to be a very odd thing. Uh, but you know it's okay because the Patriots have Brian Hoyer now, so we're Super Bowl bound again. <laughs> I think. Uh, I yeah, mean, it I can't. Mean, I don't know. It's hard to know. What, yeah. It's hard to know what they're going to do at the position. And by the time this um, this episode comes out, maybe they would have signed a yep. quarterback or you know traded for someone or something. But uh, 
yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I bet they still compete. I bet they still win the AFC East and uh, are better than anyone. Yeah, expects. well, that will be awesome. I mean, if anything, it does kind of give a fun new storyline. Um, you know, hopefully we get to see and kill Harry get more involved. Um, that would be an exciting takeaway from all of this. Um, you know, I, I also keep going back in my mind to that Sony Michelle pick and, uh, you know, thinking about perhaps other things that could have been done with that. But anyways, we're not going to focus too heavily on that, but we will start off. And I know that we've already talked about the potential of Brady to the Bucks a number of times. So we can be brief here, but the two questions I really have for you is with Brady stepping into the fold under center in Tampa Bay for Bruce Arians in 2020, does this significantly disadvantage either Chris Godwin or Mike Evans in comparison to the other? Is there one that you think really benefits more from this than the other player? So I'm still optimistic on Evans long-term. You know, I still think he has a, a really high floor and a good chance to get to a thousand yards receiving, but like there's a difference between like a thousand yards and five touchdowns and uh, like 1400 yards and 12 touchdowns. And I just think he's, he's going to be closer to the floor than his ceiling because his style of play, like running downfield doesn't mesh so well right. with what Brady does at this point. Uh, because Brady throws more to the center of the field, more to his slot receivers. And that clearly benefits Chris Godwin. Um, so before Brady went to the the Buccaneers, I had Brady as, um, sorry, not Brady. I had Evans ahead of Godwin, but it's flipped yep. at this point. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Actually, I went in, um, updated my dynasty rankings last night and as a result of the move i did uh move godwin's a little bit higher than evans so i think i'm with you there now in terms of of brady now that he has these new weapons there number of solid options in these skill positions for tampa bay um is he a top 12 quarterback in redraft for 2020 do you think no, I still don't have him there. I think he's more of a, a mid-range or maybe kind of like upper tier quarterback too, but I still wouldn't want to draft him in the top 12. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe with uh, the wealth of weapons he has there, uh, he actually does get a, a low-end QB1 season, but I just, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want yeah, to draft Final him question way. on this. Has this inflated your perception of Brady's dynasty value in any way? Or, you know, I'm assuming maybe just a little bit, but I don't think it would have really elevated him that much. No, I think it's I think it's better than if he would have stayed uh, with the Patriots. But uh, it makes me think of like years ago, I, I did some research on like particular types of uh, like oil companies. And there were these uh, like trust companies that would just buy uh, like oil assets that were depleting. Um, but there was always kind of this question of like, how fast would the oil fields or the oil wells actually deplete? And, you know, like what would the uh, the, the price of like a, a barrel of crude oil be whenever those uh, wells were depleting and stuff like that? And so, like, I feel like that's been Brady for a long time. Like he's this asset that, you know, is going to be depleted relatively soon. But like. Maybe he just lasts another season. Like he lasts longer than you think he will. Um, and like maybe he's just more productive in those remaining seasons than you think he will be. So like, but, but you still don't like trade extra yeah. to get that. It's just that if you've had Brady for years, 
you're just thrilled that you continue to have some long-tailed uh, upside or long-tailed production that you wouldn't have counted on when you acquired him five to seven years ago. Yeah, I think that uh, that falls in line with with where my thinking is. Um, did you ever do anything with this with this research that you did on these oil fields or these oil companies? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's and it's not as if like they made like a ton of money, but I just thought that they were a little more undervalued in the market than they should have been. And, uh, you know, like I was, I was right, but it's not like, Oh, yeah. you get rich off of this. It's just like your, you know, your stock goes up 10% or so something speaking like that. Of uh depleting assets, the Houston Texans in a area that probably uh, does some yeah. oil mining. Um, I don't know. Uh, break down for us what they were thinking with this David Johnson trade. <laughs> uh, I have no idea. This was a horrible trade. Um, and it, it goes to, I think, the rationale of why it always makes sense to have someone um, who is not the head coach as your primary decision maker in terms of like the business, in terms of roster, uh, roster decisions. But, man, uh, you know, evidently, DeAndre Hopkins didn't get along with the coach or the coach didn't get along with DeAndre Hopkins. And so uh, he was traded, even though I think he has a reasonable contract and three years left on it. And clearly one of the best wide receivers in the league. Um, it's hard to say that the Texans got back anything of value for him. Uh, they got back a second rounder, which like that on its own is too low. Uh, but then they also had to send a fourth rounder in the trade and uh, they got back David Johnson uh, in his contract. So just horrible trade. I mean, like all time, I, I don't know. It's just, it's hard to say, like, it's not a trade that's worse than like the, uh, Herschel Walker trade, but like it is, it is so bad. And, um, so obviously Dodger Hopkins well positioned with the, uh, the Arizona Cardinals who are ascending. Um, it's hard to know if he will continue to get the target volume that he had in previous seasons, but, uh, Still pretty optimistic about him. David Johnson, I don't know. It's really hard to know. Like, he could really have, like, a 1,000 yards. You know, he could have 1,200 yards, maybe, if we even think about what Lamar Miller was able to do with the Texans. But I'm just super pessimistic about him. And uh, it makes me actually fairly interested in Duke Johnson. But, like, we've... We've had the Duke Johnson optimism before, and that hasn't really worked out well for anybody. Yeah, I would like to envision a scenario in which David Johnson can kind of have some type of resurgence. And I think that perhaps being used as, as a receiver, um, something could come together. But as you mentioned, with Duke Johnson there, um, some of the skill set there overlaps. So I think that we have to be careful about getting too excited about either of those players we basically determined last year that David Johnson looked like he was more or less done. The change in the scenery will help, but I don't think that um, you can reasonably expect anything out of David Johnson like we saw in those years that he was smashing in Arizona. Uh, my opinion on Hopkins is I don't think that it really changes his value too much. Um, in redraft, though, for this season, maybe I'm going to be more inclined to go with a Devontae Adams over Hopkins if I'm in picking in that spot where I'd be looking at those top tier wide receivers. Um, but I wouldn't react 
or overreact too much. Either way, it keeps his value kind of in the same place for me. Yeah. Yeah, I think Hopkins, if you want to drop him down a little bit, that's fine. But he's still, I think, a locked-in top-five wide receiver. Um, I think there's absolutely no way you can drop him out of the top five. And, uh, you know, and then looking at the guys who were left in Houston, um, I don't know. It's it's intriguing for Will Fuller, who, you know, when he's been healthy uh, and when he's had Deshaun Watson over the past three seasons, you know, on a per-game basis, he's been almost as productive as, as DeAndre Hopkins, uh, you know, I'll be curious to see if he actually gets more volume uh, because Hopkins is now gone. And then, you know, maybe I'm being too optimistic about this, but Kenny Stills is someone yep. who's also intriguing. I think he could get, uh, you know, more volume in general. And then especially like if slash when Will Fuller misses time, uh, you know, Kenny Stills could just go off. Yeah, I think Kenny Stills is one of those guys you have to be adding on uh, to the back end of your rosters. I'm going to be using him in a lot of places. I don't think that his value will creep up too high, and there's going to be a fair amount of upside there. And I actually think Kenny Stills is a pretty good player. So, you know, maybe another season um, in Houston, naturally there was going to be a little bit, little bit of a progression anyways. We will have to see. We're going to continue looking at these free agency moves after a quick word from our sponsor, Bet Online. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. You would be wrong. There are still things to bet on, and our exclusive partner has hundreds of sports events and games to wager on, or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack, a great way to spend your quarantine time. They are open 24 hours a day. It's all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices. There you go, Mr. Friedman, and even the weather. (laughs) Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, that's a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use the promo code blue wire again that's the promo code blue wire for a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit bet online your online wagering experts so melvin gordon will be in denver uh your thoughts on the broncos going after him what do you think his usage will look like and uh what's the impact here for philip Lindsay? So, um, well, I mean, the, the obvious thing is that, uh, Royce Freeman, I think he's just gone, um, pretty much, uh, left for dead here. Um, I'm maybe a little too optimistic on Philip Lindsay. Uh, I was talking with, uh, Chris Raybon earlier about this and I still think he has thousand yard six to eight touchdown potential. Uh, like I think he could play something like an Austin Eckler type of role. Uh, he has had 35 receptions in each of the past two seasons, but, uh, you know, Raybon mentioned that, uh, he did lose receiving work last year to Royce Freeman. Uh, he's not a highly efficient receiver in terms of turning targets into yards. He's horrible in uh pass blocking. Uh, and Melvin Gordon is actually a pretty decent receiving back. So maybe, uh, the Broncos actually do intend to give Gordon a little more of the workload than we would expect. And, you know, with Gordon, we are looking at a guy who, uh, even though he has missed, um, you know, significant time 
over the past four seasons for you know one reason or another, he's still actually been pretty productive. And last year in 12 games, he still had over 900 yards and nine touchdowns from scrimmage. Um, you know, I think he's a guy who has another thousand yard season and has, you know, anywhere from like eight to 12 touchdowns and he could have 1200 yards. Like that's very much in the wheelhouse of what he's done over the past four yeah, years. I agree. Um, I'd be surprised if the Broncos bring him in and don't try to use him, uh, in a way that would allow him to have the possibility of finishing as a fantasy RB one, um, Obviously, I'm not shooting him up into an Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara type of range, but I am fairly optimistic. I don't think that I'm expecting as much out of Philip Lindsay as you are, just because I I don't see a path to Denver being able to get them both into that type of range. I just don't expect that they'll be able to have that level of utilization at the running back position or have enough quality targets, opportunities, rushing attempts to to get both of them there. Uh, it is too bad, though, that it looks like Royce Freeman is basically left for dead. I actually thought he was a pretty good player. Do you think that there's any chance that another team picks him up and he can kind of rebuild his career? Or is he perhaps not as good as we thought coming out of school? Yeah, it's just it's so hard to know with running backs, you know, especially because so much just depends on the usage that they get. And I think he actually is a decent player. I thought he he wasn't a bad receiver. Like I thought at like a minimum, he was a pretty decent pass catcher for a guy of his size. But uh, yeah, I guess it just looks like um, maybe I was too optimistic on him. Um, so, I mean, that's just, a, I guess, a, a way of a too long of a way of saying, like, I have no idea. But um it, it wouldn't be surprising if I had to bet. I bet like we never really see. Him yeah, do unfortunately, that's what it looks like. You know, one of the things that Blair Andrews looked at uh, in his fantastic series, The Wrong Read, was if, well, I guess the, the long and short of it is if we don't see a running back in, in really in any positions, but specifically at running back, if we don't see that player get used or do anything in their first two to three seasons, the odds of them ever doing anything are just so low. Obviously there's exceptions, but if you're playing the percentages, it would be very rare to see uh, a resurgence in his career or Freeman find his way into a situation where he's going to get heavily utilized. And I think a, a major reason for this is you're going to have these new backs coming into the league. There's still a level of excitement with them. So it's more likely that a team is going to try to look to that young running back that they've drafted or a proven veteran than, than that intermediate player that was a great prospect at one time, but hasn't done anything yet. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I want to say uh, for Royce Freeman, and it's not as if I think he's really all that comparable to Damian Williams or someone like that, but you know, like he's a big bodied guy with pretty decent athleticism and he can catch the ball. You know, last year he had 750 scrimmage yards. Like that's, that's pretty good for, you know, for a guy who at this point now looks like he's going to be kind of cast off. Like it, it wouldn't be surprising if he did get, uh, you know, a part time role with another team. But it's just yeah, so well, I hope he know. does, because I, I do think that he could turn that into a positive situation for that team and kind of validate some of the expectation that we had for him. But like you said, you know, it's really hard to bank on him getting that opportunity. Um, we're going to save a couple of the other big moves for later in the week. So let's talk about Teddy Bridgewater going to the Carolina Panthers Bridgewater, I think a player that a lot of people out there like 
Um, more as a player, as far as a fantasy asset goes, I don't know if I'm particularly excited about his fantasy prospects, uh, but perhaps the bigger question is the impact that this will have on DJ Moore and uh, Curtis Samuel. Yeah. Um, okay, so I don't think it has any impact on Christian McCaffrey. Um, for DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel, um, I don't know if it honestly has much of an impact there either because Moore had a really strong season last year that I think was comparable in terms of the yards that he produced as a 22 year old second year guy. Uh, you know, a season that was comparable to, you know, what we saw out of like Mike Evans, uh, Deandre Hopkins, guys like that. Um, when they were 22 year old second year players. So, and he did that with mainly a backup quarterback throwing him the ball. So, uh, I'm really enthusiastic about um about DJ Moore. Like, I don't know. Is he I think he's a for sure uh in Dynasty, uh like yep. wide receiver one, but like is he a top five so dynasty I, yeah. wide receiver? Like how you know, like how like how aggressive do you want to be with him? Because like I think you're basically getting someone who's kind of like DeAndre Hopkins, except 22 years yeah, old. Yeah, I actually made some tweaks to my dynasty rankings last night, and I ended up um, moving DJ Moore up. He's definitely in my wide receiver one range. I don't think that he's in my top five yet, but I would not have any issues with somebody having him, you know, well into their top 10. I don't think that the move of Bridgewater coming into Carolina really changes that much, given the success that we saw him have last year with a quarterback that you could say it you know, at worst, Bridgewater's probably comparable um, with Allen. So, I mean, I like his prospects. It's a situation where there's so much talent uh, that it's hard to ignore DJ Moore. So I'm perfectly fine with him being up there. But like I said, I, I don't think I could go top five, but I do think that, um, you know, he's easily one of the most exciting receivers in Dynasty right now. Okay. Can we, I, I yep. want to have a kind of like a, yep. a bigger picture conversation with the time we have left. So, um, I have a lot of respect for uh, Pat Corain, who you know obviously uh, was an older school older school Rotoviz guy, uh, and now he's doing uh, work for Establish the Run. And um, I was looking at his dynasty rankings a little bit ago, and I think he said something like, "When he's creating the rankings, um, he looks primarily at the production he can expect for this year, because he thinks." Uh, you know, there's there's just too much conjecture when you're projecting past this yep. upcoming season. Um, and I think, you know, that kind of gestures to the fact that it is really hard uh, for us to value the production that we should expect to get or hope to get out of all of these guys in the upcoming seasons, you know, all of the seasons past this future season right in front of us. And I think that makes dynasty projections and dynasty rankings really hard. But like, I think the big question is in a year from now, do you expect that you will have DJ Moore higher than he is now in the rankings? You know, like it's, it's hard to get past this season, but if you can just try to like look over it and project DJ Moore, where is he in our dynasty rankings a year from now? And if the answer is, yeah, I can pretty easily envision that he's going to be higher then he should just be higher right now. That's the way that I'm looking at this. Because I just, again, I don't think that we as dynasty 
analysts and rankers do a great job of accounting for all of that future production. I hear what you're saying. I think where it gets tricky is that there isn't really a uniform process for building dynasty rankings or really any rankings in general, especially between ranker to ranker, which is one of the issues I kind of always have with just pure rankings, why I prefer to look at tiers or some type of score that you're assigning to players. I tend to lean towards the side of in my dynasty rankings, I'm leaning closer towards what I can expect in that given year, because I think for a very large majority of players, that player's perceived value is going to be tied into how they perform in the coming year at the end of that season. I think it's harder to look a couple years down the line, which is what Pat's getting at. But there are cases, and I think DJ Moore might be one of those, where you can reasonably assume, given the hype that's around them or surrounding them and what you expect in the coming season that you can move them up, especially with a younger player where we know in his case too, there's some players like Julio Jones who players might have ahead of DJ Moore right now that as good as Julio Jones is, he's reaching the end of his career. Uh, so I think yeah. that's how it plays into it's You know, kind of a multifaceted thing in the case of Moore, I think that I agree with your point of maybe it does make sense to shoot them up your rankings, but I don't know if I would use that across the board. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yep. a, a couple of things here. So like we, we do this with stocks. Like we have an idea, like if you had to evaluate a company, like we have the idea of sort of like, you know, taking into account future cash flow and, uh, what that means for the value of the company now. Like we have a sense of that, um, in a sense of like how to value companies or anything else, how to value different assets in the long term we need to be able to do that with dynasty because that honestly is where the edge is. If everyone is valuing guys based on what they're going to do this year, like that is where the edge is to, to project. Even if your projections aren't perfect to project the guys that the market is off on because the market is focusing on now instead of the future. That's, I mean, that's just my opinion, but like with dynasty, the task is thinking about what is this guy worth? Not in the short term, because that's where everyone is focused on. Like all of the rankings out there are focused on the short term. What is this guy worth? Not in the short term, but in the long term. And where there's a discrepancy there, like those are the guys you need to go trade for if you can. Yeah. I, all right. I, I accept that point and I take it. I, I think though, the larger problem that we're having here is that perhaps rankings just aren't a very good system for it. It's almost like you need to assign a player, a short term value and a potential long-term value having said that i don't know though and i get what you're saying about value and asset but i i can always find myself wanting to push back when people start bringing in the stock market or some financial investing related type of topics into the discussion because i'm not sure yes you're investing in a way but i think for the most part the timeline that you're looking at with stocks in many cases is very different than what you're looking for with uh, dynasty assets. And the other thing is stocks, right? We don't know what's going to happen them. And we don't have any expectation that they're necessarily going to lose their value. Whereas we know in the case of a dynasty player, he is an asset that is going to be amortizing or depreciation over time. He cannot hold his value in perpetuity or necessarily be trending up for a long time or you can't absorb. It's very rare that you see a loss 
a paper loss with a player then get reversed. Whereas with the stock, it can go down and then come right. back up. So that that's the only pushback I'm going to give. Right. So, okay. So I think this is a good con- a conversation. Let's yep. continue it just a little bit longer. So, um, yeah, I think we're thinking of two different types of uh, of ways of looking at at these players as assets. So there's the trade market, which is like much more aligned yes. with the stock market, right? Uh, and then there's sort of like the way that you value a company. And like, I think, and that's like totally separate from how you would look at, yep. at the stock. Um, and so you would want to see like how much money, like how, like how much revenue, how much profit can you expect out of this company in the next three years or something like that? Whatever, set your time frame. But you know, like three years is like a reasonable or five years, like a reasonable like time frame of thinking about how much money right. can this company reasonably give me in the next three years. And that to me is where it's comparable to trying to project players. Because it, for me, the question isn't how many fantasy points can I get out of this guy in this upcoming season? It's how many fantasy points can this guy give me or how many top 10 finishes or however it is that you think about it. How many fantasy points can this guy give me over the next three to five years? Like that's the time frame that I think people should be focusing on more for dynasty because everyone focuses on that one year yep. time frame. And I, I think that just yep. that so creates to close value. this out. The, the one other thing that I think we should kind of discuss in here is perhaps it's not even so much getting your value on that one particular player, but saying to yourself, I have X amount of roster spots on this team. I need to have some, I need to have some percentage occupied by players whose value could go up. And I can only have this percentage grouped into players that I know from this point onward, their value can only be going down and kind of building that portfolio, though I don't like to bring in another kind of financial term here, but if this is how we're framing in the context we're using, um, it's recognizing that there's an interplay between the types of players that you have. And that, that I think is when it's really also important to capture in that, you know, three to five year outlook. Okay. I love that idea. And I think you're right. Uh, just in terms of like how you think about it. And then in terms of like how winning players probably build yep. their dynasty teams. Uh, like I just, like I know personally, I want to minimize the number of roster spots I have dedicated to guys who are old. Like I want to have as many roster spots possible for guys who were in years one through four, you know, because I, I feel like they have longer term value and uh, there's appreciation there. And uh, even just like, it's easier to trade them, but then also I feel like they have uh, more future fantasy points ahead of them. So cool. I, I like that All right. idea. Well, I think that was a, actually, that was a great conversation to kind of tie this out. And, uh, you know, we should actually try to pick that up and go a little bit more in depth later on. Uh, we will be holding off on that, though, as we still have a number of free, a- free agency moves to cover. Uh, we will be back with those next week. That does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com on email. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Bet Online for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. <laughs> <laughs>